modern-day Turkey, okay? And, and, and really, Galatia is the center part of all of that, all right? From north to south, the center section, the center third. You get a lot of those uh, towns that we read about in Acts in Galatia. You get Lystra and Derby, Iconium. All of these sound familiar if you read through Acts. You get uh, Antioch. Well, one of the, there's a million Antiochs. You get Poseidon Antioch there in the uh, eastern part, or I'm sorry, the western part of Galatia. This is where Paul is writing. This is where Paul has done many of his mission uh, trips, and a lot of his ministry work was done in Galatia. He's writing to, for the most part, the southern part of Galatia. Now, all of this, all of this is beginning to spread throughout this area. Everything they're learning, everything they're teaching is beginning to spread throughout Galatia. The northern part of Galatia, Paul doesn't go into. That's, that's, uh, that's just a different area, a different uh, group of people that inhabited that, and they moved there from France, modern-day France. But the southern part, Paul spends a lot of time in. And finally, when was this written? About 50 A.D. Paul's been in ministry at least 20 years by the time he writes Galatians. At least 20 years by the time he writes to the Galatians. This was after the Jerusalem Council. Paul attended this Jerusalem Council, presided over by James. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. But really the point we want to get to is why. Why was Galatians written by God? This really brings us to the point of our message. All of Paul's letters, church, everyone, and there's a whole bunch of them, all of his epistles, they're all occasional, occasional. That means something is happening that Paul needs to address, or a lot of somethings are happening that Paul needs to address. If you're looking at the Corinthians, if you're looking at the Philippians, it was good stuff that Paul wanted to address. If you're looking at the Corinthians, it's pretty much all bad stuff that Paul wants to address. Galatians is very interesting. Galatians is the only letter Paul writes where he has no praise for the churches. No praise. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that they're always in trouble. They're always, you know, screwing up. They've always got bad things happening. And Paul yells at them. But even in the Corinthian church, there's a few times and a few moments where Paul says, you guys are doing real good here. You're, doing, you're getting this. You're understanding this. In the Galatian church, or the Galatian churches, Paul has nothing like that to say. He says, we got a serious problem here, and we need to fix it. You might have this same serious problem in your own life. Paul starts out in chapter 1 with his credentials. He talks about his authority. He talks about his call or his message. Paul is this. Paul is a preacher of justification. He is a preacher of justification. He starts out, and we're not going to hit every verse here, but he starts out like this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. Now, this is related very much to verses 11 and 12 in the same chapter, but it's not exactly the same thing. Paul is an apostle of Christ. He is a direct messenger of Jesus Christ. This is God sending Paul to give the Galatians and you and me a message. He's different than a disciple proper. A disciple proper are those who follow Jesus and imitate Jesus, want to become like Jesus. I hope that you pursue discipleship in your life. An apostle, though, is one with a specific purpose and a specific message to give. And this apostle Paul is not sent by man. This was not done in a committee. This was not done in a church. 
This was done from face to face, literally in Paul's case, face to face interaction with Jesus Christ, specifically called by God. Paul didn't draw the short straw here. God chose Paul to teach and to preach and to write. You know what? Paul didn't even choose Paul. Paul didn't choose Paul. God chose Paul to serve the kingdom of God. And I think that's quite a resume. And why specifically Paul? Well, Paul, for a number of different reasons, Paul was chosen. But the biggest reason is this. Paul said yes. Paul said yes. Why are you chosen to serve in the kingdom of God? Why are you chosen to walk along with Christ? Why are you chosen to influence, whether it's a person or a friend or a family member or a co-worker, why are you chosen to be involved in a ministry, whether it's in these walls or outside of these walls? There's really one main reason. You either say yes or you say no. Yes, I'll serve in the kingdom or no, I won't. We can serve in the kingdom of God now just as Paul can serve in the kingdom of God then. This also tells me that when Paul speaks, when he writes, it is not merely human wisdom. If we're going to read through the letter to the Galatians, we better pay attention. We better listen to everything Paul has to say and apply it to our lives because this is God addressing every person in this church. Paul makes a very clear distinction in his letters when it's not specific revelation and when it is. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 7. You could read that yourself. Every time we read, every time we understand the words of these letters and the words of Paul, these are the words of God going into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts. But if we do understand the word of God and we don't follow it out, we don't apply it to our lives, we are suggesting one of two things. Either we don't care or we know more. Either we don't care or we know more. Every time we read through Scripture, we say, I understand what this says, but I'm not going to apply it. We say to God, I know more than you do, or I simply do not care what you have to say. Now, sometimes we try and fail. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about ignoring God, ignoring His direction. What causes us to ignore this direction? Our pride, our fear, the same thing that causes everything else. Pride and fear. Certainly if we understand. He goes on. I want to jump down to verse 11 because this is related. We'll get to verse 6 here in just a minute. Verse 11 says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. The gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, is not invented by human beings. It is eternal from the very beginning. The Son is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to read this for just a second. This is Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. That means He's before you and me. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, now this is what we talked about last uh, over these past few weeks. This is in Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is an eternal message constructed from the very beginning, built specifically for you and for me. Otherwise, church, the gospel message would just be like every other failed philosophy that has ever been invented by man. And at some point, every philosophy, every worldview that denies Christ fails. Every time, I'll tell you, I have done extensive studies in the various worldviews and philosophies that people follow and people grasp at and try to apply to their lives. At every point, at some time, they have a self-defeating proposition. They fail. We fail if it comes to saving ourselves by being really good or raising our station by being good. Or, I like this one, getting into paradise by doing more good things than bad things. What foolish nonsense. This is an old Egyptian way of thinking, right? This is, this is ancient Egyptian. Weighing your heart against the feather to see if you've earned the love of God. If this gospel message wasn't eternal, it would be built upon human pride by fallible human beings. I don't know anybody who's right all the time. Any man-made philosophy would be impossible to trust. I've met a lot of people who think they're right, but they miss the big picture. You see, if this was man-made, it would change with the times. It would change with cultures. It would change with convenience. There are questions in other philosophies where the rule is, oh, we don't ask those questions. But Jesus... Hebrews 13 tells us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything Paul is going to say has not changed from the beginning of time, has not changed from his day, and has not changed until right now, or even up to right now. I think it's no coincidence that the revelation of Christ at the very end says, do not add and do not take away. But Paul goes even further in verse 12. He says, look, I didn't even receive this from any man. Nor was I taught it. I was taught the gospel. I received it from people. I received it from teachers. And that's a noble calling. But Paul, Paul received it by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. This comes directly from, I hope it's not irreverent, the horse's mouth. When Paul says, I received it from Jesus. Now this was certainly done in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus encountered Paul on the way to Damascus as he reveals himself to Paul. But we also see Paul traveling into seclusion, traveling, traveling into Arabia, into the wilderness, after he encountered Jesus, to be instructed further in ministry. And he did that for some time. I don't know who instructed him. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit working through his life, through his heart. I don't know if it was the reincarnation of Jesus out in the wilderness. He doesn't elaborate on that. But in verse 17, he says, look, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. After that, I went to Jerusalem to talk to these people about the Scripture. 
Paul received many visions in his life. There's multiple visions throughout his, uh, his ministry. His greatest perhaps being caught up to the third heaven as he was revealed and shown things that even he doesn't speak of. But he was shown the gospel of Christ. And if Jesus can change Paul, he can change anyone. Look at verse 13. For you have heard, this is the guy who's writing this letter. This is the guy who's establishing these churches. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, or how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. This is the servant of Christ. And if Jesus can change the heart of Paul, he can change the heart of anybody you're going to come in contact with. He can change the heart of you, certainly. Paul had every reason to continue with this path of persecuting the church. He had every reason to snuff out the followers of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. He says, I was advancing. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You have to understand the, the, the concept here. And I, I, again, I like what Ma John said about Matthew. Matthew was well-to-do, and he left it. Paul? Paul was even greater. Paul had influence. Paul had this stature in the community. Paul was a rising star. For Paul to accept the gospel message was to him, for him to give up his station. It was for him to give up his title. It was for him to give up his livelihood. I, I've told people before, and I, I didn't really understand this. I didn't realize this until much later on. But someone has asked me, and, and this, was, this was a couple of months ago, asked me about one of the biggest challenges of being a preacher. And I said, it's reputation. I said, if you're worried at all about your reputation, don't be a preacher. Don't be a preacher. Paul gave up his reputation. Paul gave up a planned life to believe in this gospel message of forgiveness and grace and love and justification and eternal life through Jesus Christ. He was the rising star, taught by the finest teachers, went to the finest schools, and he gives it up to follow Jesus. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, undeserved favor, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. This is where he is taught by the Holy Spirit himself for about three years. Paul knows what he's taught. But these are the credentials of Paul. This is who we're talking to. This is who's writing this letter, God is using to write this letter. Now, the purpose of this letter, I want to backtrack to verse 6. Paul says this, pleasantries over, he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. This deserting is a military term specifically that Paul's using here. He uses a lot of military terms. Deserting is to run out on your responsibilities, and the result of it is death. The result of it is death. To run out on what you know to be right, and the consequences is death or execution. He uses his words very carefully. 
He says, you are running out on the gospel that brings life. Gospel means truth. That's the definition of gospel. So a different gospel cannot possibly be the gospel. This church is walking away from Jesus Christ, not by abandoning His Lordship. Think about this. Listen closely. They're not abandoning the Lordship of Jesus. They're not abandoning the kingship of Jesus or the divinity of Jesus. They are abandoning His forgiveness. They are trying to pay twice. They are abandoning His justification. They're abandoning His righteousness. And Paul says, you're deserting Jesus. And it leads to death. Church, you think I'm kidding about this. I hear it every day. We've still got to live right. We've still got to walk the line. Because if we don't, we don't get into heaven. That is an affront to God, says God. Your job is to trust the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But we ask the question, what are we supposed to do with it? What does walking in faith look like? Because I know I've talked to you about good things and righteous things. Well, that's what Galatians talks about. We'll get there. You've got to stick with it. They're abandoning grace. And, of course, Paul calls them deserters, punishable by death. Continuing on in verse 7, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. To pervert is to change into the opposite, to change into the opposite. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about this this one sin that Jesus says, I'm not going to forgive that one. To pervert the gospel of Christ. To pervert the work of the Holy Spirit. To attribute the works of God to the works of evil or the works of evil to the works of God. There are false teachers among these Galatian churches. And church, there can be false teachers in your life. I got news for you. If you turn on the radio, you turn on television, you get online, there's false teachers all over the place. And it's real easy to take a false message and a false gospel and package it up in a beautiful box. And present it to you and to me. We have to earn the love of Christ. It's foolishness. People came to these churches and taught that unless you obey the Old Testament law, you cannot have life. You cannot follow Christ. You cannot be a Christian. And again, it's still prevalent today. Unless you go through this checklist of saving yourself, you cannot follow Christ. Jesus saves, we say but only with my help. Jesus saves, but only if I give my hand. There's not enough people. There's simply not enough people when asked the question, are you saved for all eternity? They say, absolutely. Absolutely. There anything you or I can do to change that. There's not enough people that have that confidence. There's not enough people that have that certainty in Jesus Christ. Because we still get this message presented to us that you must earn forgiveness. Which isn't even the definition of forgiveness, by the way. 
You must earn righteousness. That's something you're given, not something that is earned, but it is something you live up to. We'll get to that later. You must earn the love of Christ, and this is precisely what is wrong with this false teaching and the world in general. Church, if you think you have to earn the love of Christ, then you think other people have to earn your love too. And that you've got to earn the love of others. That's complete falsehood. If you don't live up to my standard, I won't love you. And why? Because I've got to live up to the standard of Christ for him to love me. The entire thing breaks down if we think we're not saved by how much Jesus loves us. Love that is earned is not love. Okay? That's, that's trade. That's commerce. I'll trade you for love. This is the old creation following the law. God is interested in the new creation. And how sure is Paul of this? This is what he's trying to bring the rest of this church to. This is what he's trying to bring your individual life to. This is what he's trying to bring the Galatians to. Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty confident. And this is coming from someone who tried to destroy the church. As we have already said, and so now say again, if anyone has preached to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You see, Paul has one goal. Paul has one job. And that is the truth of Jesus Christ. To make sure it is taught, to make sure it is understood, and to make sure it is lived. And what has Paul given up? Paul's given up everything. Paul's given up everything to make sure that you and I understand that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, I told you, this is just laying the track. We get into the meat next week. But Paul leaves us with this in verse 10. He says, look. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings? By this message, by these missions, by this letter, by what I'm teaching, what I'm telling? He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? He said, be sure of this. If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul's not in the business of pleasing people. He's not in the business of pleasing you. He's in the business of serving you, but not pleasing you. What he cares about is the truth of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. By the time we're done with Galatians, I want the next person to hear. When they ask you, are you saved for all eternity? Are you absolutely certain of this? You say, yes, I am. Yes, but you've screwed up. Yes, but you've made mistakes. Yes, but you're not walking the line. You're not towing the law telling the law. We'll just we'll use that as a phrase right now. Yes, but we're saved by the love of Jesus. We know the what, we know the where, the when, and the why. Paul is going to support his argument throughout the rest of the argument, or throughout the rest of the uh, letter, and in the following chapters. And he's going to leave us with the how. What does it look like to live as a new creation? You need to be back here next week as we get into the meat of this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
that Paul is so confident in his in his following, he's so confident in his teaching that he lives for the truth of Jesus Christ, that he lives for forgiveness, that he lives for this justification. Father, we ask that you help open our eyes to this as we see example of this played out in a person's life, that we may go from where we are to where we can be. Father, help us to know what it is to live as a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.